Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. We live in a world where there is certainly no shortage of news. Am I right? We have ABC News, NBC News, CBS News, and all their local affiliates. We have CNN. We have Fox News. We have the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, USA Today, Merced Sun Star. And then on top of that, almost all those news or organizations, if you call them that, have their own websites where you can get the news right up to the minute. 24 hours a day. And while all those news outlets are unique in some ways, they tend to share pretty much all the same news stories. And sometimes it sounds different from network to network. So we have to be careful on who we trust. Over 2,000 years ago, none of those news organizations even existed. There was no TV, there was no radio, no internet, no newspapers. Kids, those are like, you open it up and there's news actually on paper, for those who don't know. But in Palestine, the news of the day even though it was communicated much differently than today, was really not much better. Especially for the people who belonged to the commonwealth of Israel. They had no country on their own. They lived under the harsh rule of the Roman Empire, who was openly hostile towards them, and of course their religion. And Judea, in particular, was ruled by a tyrannical client king named Herod, who had given the title to himself King of Judea, and it was also given to him by the Roman Senate. And although Herod generally supported traditional Jewish laws, he had angered the Jews with acts like replacing the high priest with men of his own choosing. Combining pagan forms of worship with traditional Jewish worship practices and exacting uh, taxes in order to support those circumstances. And it wasn't a very easy task. It was into that world that God chose to bring good news. Lasting good news that is still good news for us over 2,000 years later. And when he did that, he announced that good news in a completely unexpected manner. He didn't go to the religious leaders or the political leaders or to the rich and famous. He chose instead to make his announcement to some lowly shepherds as they tended to their flocks. And 
Here is how Luke records that event in his gospel account. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, we're looking at verses 8 through 11. Luke chapter 2, 8 through 11. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Now, certainly we could all use some good news. Am I right? So, for the next three weeks leading up to Christmas, and believe me, I've struggled with this. I've talked with Dave about this recently. I've struggled with Christmas sermons because it's always the same old adage. We tell the story... We get excited about Christ's birth. And then after, there's kind of a letdown. Like, oh, okay, we start the new year. Great. All right, January 2, then what? My goal is to express a different take on the Christmas story and the story of our Savior. Not so much that I change the story, but maybe change the way we feel about it. This morning we'll begin with the first aspect of the good news. One that was quite evident in the passage we just read. And I'm going to enlist your help in identifying that theme. What were the first words the angel spoke to the shepherds? Say it louder. Fear not. not. And that's right. And that was certainly a... It was certainly an appropriate message to those shepherds, wasn't it? Can you imagine what was going on through their minds that night? They were just tending their sheep like they did every other night. And when an angel of the Lord appears to them, as we're going to see this morning... That wasn't the first time an angel had appeared to someone in connection with the birth of Jesus. And the appearance of angels in relation to his incarnation is certainly significant, wouldn't you agree? There had been no accounts of anyone seeing an angel for over 500 years. And now all of a sudden there are multiple accounts of angels appearing on the scene to proclaim the birth of the Messiah. And although we're not told specifically, it seems likely that this is another appearance of the angel Gabriel, who had appeared previously to Zechariah and Mary. And all of a sudden, here he is with these shepherds. The word that the English Standard Version translates appeared in verse 9 
literally means to stand near. So here these shepherds are, tending to their flocks, and when out of nowhere, there's an angel standing near them. Now, I don't know about you, but I would be scared in that situation. I wouldn't know what to do. But not only does this angel appear to the shepherds, he is accompanied by the glory of God coming down with him. And this is no small event. These lowly shepherds are in the presence of the glory of the Almighty God of the universe. How would you feel? What are thoughts that are going through your head? When Isaiah saw God in a vision, he was certainly terrified and cried out, Woe is me, I am lost. When Ezekiel had a vision of God in Ezekiel chapter 1, he fell on his face. When John saw the resurrected Jesus in Revelation chapter 1, he fell at his feet as if he were dead. And even the veiled glory of God caused people to melt in fear. So I can only imagine how frightened these shepherds must have been. And before we take a look at the good news of fear not, in the birth narratives, let's take a moment to think about why that is such welcome good news for us. In our culture, there are certainly valid reasons that we fear. People are struggling financially, even though the official unemployment numbers are down, we still have one of the lowest labor participation rates in our history. Many people can only find part-time work, and wages are obviously stagnant. We face external enemies who are part of a religion that advocates the absolute destruction of all who do not hold to their faith. Internally, we are being destroyed morally from within as our culture embraces lifestyles and behaviors that the Bible clearly defines as sin. No nation in history has ever survived that kind of rebellion against God in the long run. Our culture is increasingly hostile to followers of Christ and those who hold firm to biblical principles. I've only hit a few of the highlights here. And it wouldn't be hard to spend our time, especially this morning, focusing on all the reasons we have to be afraid. But I'd rather use the time to focus instead on the good news that Christmas means we can fear not. So we began by looking at the angel's message to the shepherds. And he admonished them to fear not. And because of the good news that a Savior had been born. But as I hinted at earlier, this was not the first time that the message to fear not had been proclaimed in relation to the birth of Christ. So let's take a look at each of those other instances and see what we can learn about why we can fear not 
because of Christmas. And the first of those occasions occurred in connection with the birth of John the Baptist when an angel comes to Zechariah. So you can turn to Luke chapter 1, verses 11 through 13. Luke chapter 1, verses 11 through 13. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. The next time we see an angel bringing the same message is when Gabriel appeared to Mary. And that's in verses 26 through 30. Same, same place, verses 26 through 30. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. We also know that an angel appeared to Joseph with that same message. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. These four events are certainly not the first time God has proclaimed the message to fear not. In fact, we first find God saying that to Abram in Genesis 15. And we're going to use these connections this morning to explore that message as it appears throughout the Old Testament. But in a sense, every one of those messages to fear not in the Old Testament are looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. So Christmas really is the beginning of the complete and final fulfillment of the promise by God that we do not need to fear. And so that's the message this morning. Fear not. There's no reason for us to fear. In a world that is chaotic and corrupt, we can cling to hope. We understand that because God has spoke to us Directly, God has given the ultimate example of why we fear not. But there are two important things 
we need to do with these four passages this morning. First, we need to examine them so we can understand why we don't need to fear. And then secondly, we need to determine how we need to live in order to live a life that is free from fear. So why don't we need to fear? It's quite simple. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. In each of these four instances, the message of the angel reveals that God is in control. He not only knows what is occurring, but he is completely sovereign over each and every event. To Zechariah, the angel reveals that God has heard Zechariah's prayers. And although he and Elizabeth were both advanced in years, I'm not going to say the word old. Okay, I just said it. They were advanced in years and still had no children. But God was about to intervene in their lives on his schedule and grant their desire to have a child. To Mary, Gabriel revealed that God is with her and that she has found favor with God and that he has sovereignly ordained that she is to be the mother of the Messiah. To Joseph, the angel reassures him that Mary's pregnancy is part of God's plan to bring that Savior into the world and that as a part of that plan, God wants him to take Mary as his wife and have the privilege of being the earthly father of the Messiah. And to the angels, God reveals that his plan to bring that Savior into this world is now unfolding and that they get to be part of that great event. And we're going to see in a bit, each one of these people were godly people who were seeking God. How many of us this morning are seeking God? Could we not be part of that plan? Are we not part of that story? That's why Christmas is so special. That is why we bring forth special messages during this time. Because it's not only a story of our Savior coming to earth. It's not only a story about how his birth reconciles us to God. It's a story we all share. It's a story that brings all of us together. Whatever you may be experiencing in your own life right now, you can be assured that God is not surprised at what is going on. He isn't caught off guard because he is completely sovereign. He is completely control of my situation. He is completely control of your situation. And we need to trust that. But if you're experiencing financial problems, God knows what you're going through and he is in control. If you're experiencing relationship problems, God knows what you're going through and he is in control. If you're experiencing cancer or other health issues, God knows what you're going through and he is in control. And while we not, might be able to see it right now, 
God has a purpose in whatever difficulties we might be facing. And we can be assured that because God is sovereign and those trials are part of God's plan. Not just for us personally, but also part of God's larger plan for all of us and of his creation. And because we can be assured that God is sovereign, then there is certainly no reason to fear because God knows what he's doing. We may not agree with it. We may not understand it. But God is in control. And secondly, God is gracious. God is gracious. Zechariah, Mary, Joseph, and the shepherds all experienced the operation of God's grace in their lives. And while they were all godly people who were seeking God, there was nothing in their lives that merited God's including them in his plan. And that plan was to bring the Savior into the world. They were not worthy of that. But God saw fit that he was part of their plan. And each of them played a significant role in that plan only because of the operation of God's grace in their lives. The same is true for you and I. We are part of God's plan. Again, we may not understand what that plan is. Sometimes it's pretty foggy for most of us. But God brings clarity to those in his plan, in his timing. Far too many people, even Christians, live in constant fear because they don't understand the nature of God. And while it is true that God is holy, righteous, and without sin, and that he must therefore judge sin, he is not as many would portray him. A God who delights in doing that. As Peter tells us, God is patient with us because he desires that everyone would repent and therefore avoid his judgment. He doesn't want to judge us. But he has appointed himself to do so because he, not because he wants to be the judge, but because he loves us and wants to see good things for us. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. All. Christmas is good news because it is the embodiment of God's grace towards us. As God carried out his sovereign plan that had been in place even before the creation had been to come to earth and before he was to be born as a baby, he extended his grace to all people. That's why the angel could proclaim to the shepherds that he was bringing good news of great joy that will be for all people. 
Unfortunately, however, not all choose to embrace the grace that God offers. And without the operation of his grace in our lives, it is impossible to fear not. So if you constantly live in fear, then it is quite likely that you have never really fully embraced the grace of God by placing your faith in Jesus alone. And if that's the case, then God is offering you the best Christmas gift ever. Right now. Right now. The gift of his grace and a corresponding life that can be lived free from fear. And at the close of the message today, we're going to give you a chance to accept that gift. We don't need to live in fear because God is sovereign and God is gracious. But we need to incorporate those aspects of God into our lives on a daily basis in order to live a life free from fear. Fortunately, the examples of Zechariah, Mary, Joseph, and the angels demonstrate how to live a life from fear. First of all, and first and foremost, they seek God. They seek God. In the case of Zechariah, the Bible reveals explicitly that he was seeking after God. We know he had been praying because the angel revealed that God had heard his prayers. And Luke also reveals that he and Elizabeth were righteous before God and walked blamelessly. And that obviously doesn't mean they were perfect by any means. But it does indicate that they had a heart that desired to live a life that was pleasing to God. We also know that Zechariah was serving God in the temple. And in the case of Mary, Joseph, and the shepherds, their seeking after God is not quite as explicitly revealed in the scriptures, but it is certainly implied in the way that they respond to God. How do we respond to God? Is it one that demonstrates that we're seeking after him? Or are we seeking after our own desires, our own will? It seems pretty clear that the reason God chose to involve each of them in his plan for a savior is that they were the kind of people who were constantly seeking him. I said this term a lot. It's not a one and done. It's the constant seeking of our savior. And that is certainly evidenced by their reaction to God's revelation in their lives. Is that evident in your life? That's what people seek. That's the, people, that's the thing that people seek to hope for. It is our duty. It is our obligation. It is our pleasure to demonstrate that in our lives. To demonstrate a godly relationship. To be able to be the example the light in a dark world. 
This is what God calls us to. This is why God sent a Savior to be born. And although Mary is skeptical at first, once all is revealed by Gabriel, her response is, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. That is the prevailing attitude and the reason we celebrate Christmas. That we surrender ourselves to the will of God. No matter what. And as soon as that angel finished his message to the shepherds, they immediately went to see the baby Jesus and they worshiped God for what they had just experienced. As a Christian, we all have our peaks and valleys. We talk about that quite often. But when we're in those valleys, we don't understand God's will for our life. We forget about the greatest gift of all, that he sent his son to die for us. It becomes very easy to not submit to God. But if we keep the Spirit within us and we allow the Spirit to work through us, we can demonstrate to those who do not have that gift the opportunity to receive that gift. Now, the reaction of these four to the birth of Jesus was in stark contrast to those who were not seeking God, obviously. But in particular, I've always been amazed at the reaction of the religious leaders in Jerusalem at that time. When the Magi come asking them about the birth of the Messiah, they immediately quote the scriptures that predict his birth. But then, apparently, they do nothing in response. We find no record that they sought to find Jesus so they could worship him. That's not to say that they didn't. But that's not mentioned. But I'm pretty convinced that it's because they weren't genuinely seeking God. And certainly Herod wasn't seeking God either. All he cared about was his own power. So when that a new king of the Jews has been born, and Matthew records that he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him, it seems that because the religious leaders and Herod weren't seeking God, they experienced fear in their life. Primarily the fear of losing their own power. And I wonder if that's some of us sitting here this morning. We don't fully put our trust in God because we're afraid of letting go. Or we're afraid of accepting that free gift, knowing what comes from that gift. And the understanding that that gift means us fully submitting to him. So if we want to live a life that is free from fear, we must constantly be seeking after God. And we can do that primarily through his word, where he reveals himself to us. But we can also seek God like Zechariah through prayer. And one of the other important ways we 
seek God is by gathering together with other believers in corporate worship, just as we're doing this morning. But the second thing I'd have you know is that we need to be humble. We need to be humble. When God put into action his plan to bring a savior into the world, he didn't choose to use the people we would expect. He didn't choose the high priest to be the father of John the Baptist, who would then prepare the way for Jesus. Instead, he chose an old couple. I said old, sorry. He chose the old couple who just served him faithfully. You know what that tells me? It doesn't matter who you are, what you are. God can use you no matter what. I'm living proof of that. It don't matter who you are, what you are, what you've been, or what you will be. God can use you. And use you in ways that you weren't even expecting. To use you in ways to glorify him. And then we get the privilege of standing back and saying, wow. What a great God we have. He didn't pick earthly parents who were rich or famous or powerful. He chose instead a young teenage girl and a carpenter. He didn't announce the birth to kings or religious leaders. Instead, he chose some lowly shepherds. What can God do with us? I think he can do some amazing things. But what we find in each of these people is that they are very humble. They understand their position. They understand that all of this is happening not because of their own merit or what they've done. It's because God chose them. Just like God has chosen each and every one of us sitting here this morning. To his will, to his purpose. We just have to get out of the way. We just have to allow the Spirit to come in and do what He does best. And that's reach others for the gospel of Christ. To understand why we celebrate what we do. And although we know that December 25th is not when Christ was born, and you can quote me on that, because I know it's a debate. But Christ's birth should be a daily, daily praise to God. Not because we get to put up our lights and the trees and they're beautiful and it's wonderful. But because we can celebrate that gift every single day. And what we find in each of those people, like I said, is that they're humble. So we too must humble ourselves and serve God the very best way that we know how, without any expectation whatsoever. And that somehow God owed us for that service. We cannot operate that way. And they didn't either. They didn't believe that they were somehow entitled to the place of responsibility that God bestowed upon them. 
In fact, they seem quite surprised that God would choose to make them such an important part of his plan. Humble people are able to live lives that are free from fear because they are willing to trust completely in God. And they never feel like God owes them something for being faithful. They are willing to yield their own desires and wishes to those of God and therefore learn to be content in spite of the circumstances. On the other hand, the proud and the arrogant tend to have many fears. They may not always show that on the outside, but on the inside they tend to always be afraid that they're going to not measure up to their own expectations or to the expectations of others and certainly not to God's standards. But the good news of Christmas is that we don't have to measure up to those things on our own. If we are willing to humble ourselves and submit our lives to Jesus as our Lord, our Master, then God considers us to be righteous based on what His Son, Jesus, did for us on that cross. And knowing that does away with so many of our fears. And finally this morning, we need to join in where God is already at work. We need to join in where He is already at work. And this probably sounds familiar to any of you who are familiar with Henry Blackaby's Experiencing God study. Some of us have did this several years back. But there's four examples that we've looked at this morning, and those are certainly confirmed in this biblical approach. It says, neither Zechariah nor Mary nor Joseph nor the angels thought to themselves, you know what? I think I'll devise a plan for God to bring a Savior into the world, and then... I'll decide how to carry that plan out. And what part I'm going to play in that process? I don't know. I'll just ask God to bless my plan. I think we would all agree that would have been pretty absurd, right? But while all of them were seeking God and looking forward to the coming of the Messiah, I don't think any of them ever imagined that they were going to play such a significant role in the process of God carrying out his plan. But because they were humble, God was able to use them. And as God revealed his plan, or at least a portion of his plan to them, Zechariah, Mary, Joseph, and the angels just joined in where God was already at work. And none of them even knew the plan in whole, but they were just obedient to do their part. And we too must be obedient in our part in our Savior's master plan. And to me, this is how we demonstrate in a tangible way that we believe God is sovereign. When we're just obedient to join God in what he's already doing, by being obedient to what he has revealed to us, we are in effect saying to God, I trust you, even though I can't possibly see how my small part fits into your grand plans. 
I trust you. I submit myself to you. But when we live like that, it is possible to live a life free from fear. And conversely, when we merely develop our own plans and then ask God to bless them, knowing what I know and knowing what you know, isn't that kind of a scary way to live life? And although Christmas is indeed good news, it's not good news for everyone. For those who are proud and who choose to live their lives in their own terms, Christmas is nothing more than the celebration of a God of their own making. You see, most people don't have any problem at all with a God who is merely a helpless baby in a manger who can be manipulated and controlled for their own selfish purposes rather than the sovereign God of the universe. But frankly, those people should live in fear because one day they are going to have to stand before God and give an account of their life. And apart from the grace of God, which is accepted through faith in his son, they're going to live a life of fear on earth right now as well as for eternity after they die. But for those who are willing to humbly seek God and join in where he is already at work, Christmas is indeed good news. And that means we can live both now and forever. Now and forever. A life free from fear because God is sovereign and God is gracious. And like I said, if you've never made that choice, we invite you to do so this morning. You're going to have that opportunity. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That is why we celebrate. That is why we should celebrate and live a life not in fear, but of humble service to God. Amen? Dave, come. Wise men still seek him. Off a pastor's sermon, the good news is we don't have to have regal robes to come to the cross. We bring our tattered lives. We bring who we are. Let's stand together. If you have a decision that you would like to make this morning and confront whatever that is, we invite you to come. Maybe to pray or talk to the pastor as we sing. You are a holy God and all-consuming fire. Your
here this morning I'm going to ask Joe Cedillo if he'd come up with me please I'm going to ask the deacons and the elders of the church to come join us as well we are a church that believes in prayer we are a church that believes in healing because God is sovereign and he takes care of all and I know he didn't ask this When I ask, we lay hands on Joe and pray for him. He's not been feeling well. You can blame your wife on that one. She brought you. But Joe's been struggling with health for quite some time. And the doctors tell him one thing, and then the next thing happens, and and so we're back to square one quite often. But I believe God can take care of this. So I'm going to ask that we pray for Joe this morning. We allow God to do what he does best. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Joe and his family and what they mean to this church. Lord, I know Joe has struggled with health issues for, well, as long as I've known him. And Lord, you've blessed him many times in that journey. Lord, we're asking now, that you continue to bless that journey, that you continue to bless Joe and rid him of the issues that he's facing. Lord, we know that doctors and nurses and individuals do the best that we can to help. But Lord, in the end, it's you who saves. It is you who heals. It is you who watches over us. It is you who gives the knowledge to those to help. Lord, we're asking for that this morning. This is not out of an act of desperation. This is an act of us as serving you to be obedient and ask for the things that we need because you have called us to do so. And so we pray to you this morning that you would heal my brother, that you continue to be a shining light in his life. And we've all experienced it. If any of us know Joe, we know that his heart is in the right place and that he serves us graciously and he serves you faithfully. Thank you for his life. And Lord, we put all of this in your hands because it is through your will and through your time that you work your miracles. And we thank you in advance, Lord. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Yes sir. yes, sir. Remember this evening, the Christmas sing at 7 o'clock, dinner at 6 o'clock if you'd like to come and join us for that. Uh, Sunday night ministries will be meeting at 5. We look forward to seeing you. Have a great day in the Lord, everyone. 
The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.